0: there listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum. I'm your host. E Pluribus Unum is a Latin phrase which is on the seal of the United States. It means out of many, one. And that is the point of this podcast, to find unity and oneness because we have many different people in this nation with different backgrounds and different talents and different ideas, but we all have to live together because we're all here. And we all can live together because We all have a lot more in common than we realize, but we're so focused on what divides us, whether it's political, race, or otherwise, that finding unity is hard. I focus on ideas and values that can bring us all together. Some of those ideas are biblical, and specifically on Fridays, I focus on something from the Bible, usually the first five books known in Jewish circles as the Torah, Because each week in the synagogue, a different portion is read, and there are so many lessons to be learned from the different portions, so I like to give a summary and then also talk about different insights from each week. This week is interesting. It's what's called a double portion. So there are 54 different portions in the Torah, but in the calendar year, the Jewish calendar year, there are only 50 to 51 weeks, depending on whether or not it's a leap year not enough weeks to number of parshas. If a holiday falls on Shabbat, then we read the holiday portion instead of the Shabbat portion. So we have even fewer weeks available to read the parsha. So there are certain parshas that can be combined so that all 54 will be read because we do a full cycle each year. We read all 54 portions. And then on Simchat Torah, we start all over again. This week is a double portion. It's Vayakhel and Pekudeh. Let's just get right into it with a brief summary courtesy of Chabad.org. At the beginning of Vayakhel, Moshe assembles the people of Israel and reiterates to them the commandment to observe the Shabbat. He then conveys God's instructions regarding the making of the Mishkan, or the tabernacle. The people donate the required materials in abundance, bringing gold, silver, and copper, blue, purple, and red-dyed wool, goat hair, spun linen, animal skins, wood, olive oil, herbs, and precious stones. Moses has to tell them to stop giving. A team of wise-hearted artisans make the Mishkan and its furnishings, which include three layers of roof coverings, 48 gold-plated wall panels, and 100 silver foundation sockets, the veil or parochet that separates between the sanctuary's two chambers and the screen or masach that fronts it, the ark and its cover with the cherubim, the table and its showbread, the seven-branch menorah with its specially prepared oil, the golden altar and the incense burned on it, the anointing oil, the outdoor altar for burnt offerings and all its implements, the hangings, posts, and foundation sockets for the courtyard, and the basin and its pedestal made out of copper mirrors. An accounting is made of the gold, silver, and copper donated by the people for the making of the Mishkan. Matsalel Ahaliev and their assistants make the eight priestly garments, the aphod, breastplate, cloak, crown, turban, Tunic, sash, and breeches, according to the specifications communicated to Moses in the parsha of Tetzaveh. The Mishkan is completed, and all its components are brought to Moses, who erects it and anoints it with the holy anointing oil, and initiates Aaron and his four sons into the priesthood. A cloud appears over the Mishkan, signifying the divine presence that has come to dwell within it. So that is a brief summary of these two Torah portions, which each, on their own, are pretty short. It reiterates the building of the Mishkan and the different vessels which has been described in previous parshiot on the face of it these are not the most exciting parshas unless maybe you're an architect or into interior decorating but for the rest of us these can be kind of dry but that's on the surface as with every parsha in the Torah as with every sentence and every word in the Torah there's so much to be learned about how we can act and what our mission is in this world, and different values, and just things to ponder. One thing I'll just briefly mention, which is not a full insight, but it is just fascinating how enthusiastic the people are about donating to this project that Moses actually has to tell them to stop giving because they've given so much, which I'm sure many Nonprofits today wished that the problem is that they were getting too much and not having to pull teeth to get donations, but the people were really excited about building the Mishkan. Also, many of them were willing were wanting to show their remorse for the curse of the golden calf, so there was some making up for that, but the people were so excited they were going to be a part of creating a dwelling place for God that they all wanted to be a part of that. And I think that's pretty incredible. What I wanted to go into a little bit more deeply, though, is what happens afterwards in the accounting of all of the different materials. So, once everything is completed, Moses gives an accounting to all of the people of how every single piece of the donation was used. As he's counting out and relaying what each donation was used for, he gets to the silver and he forgets what a majority of the silver was used for while he's trying to remember. A heavenly voice calls out that the silver was used for the hooks for the outside pillars. Now the question is, did Moshe just forget, or was this a purposeful forgetting? Did God make him forget? And the answer is that God made him forget. So why did God make him forget? Because had Moses mentioned that a majority of the silver that was used was used for the courtyard was used for the outside, just for hooks, not for anything deeply spiritual, The people who had given that silver might have felt like their contribution didn't matter or like Moses had some sort of personal vendetta against them and for that reason was not using their silver for something more important or what would seem important. But by God making him forget that required a heavenly voice to come out and do the counting, and then the people realized that their donation, that their silver, was used for something important enough that a heavenly voice was giving an accounting for it. This brief, tiny episode just shows us how how much everyone's contribution matters and how every single person matters and that every person on earth has a purpose. It also is just another example of how tuned in God is to people's emotions and feelings in a way that perhaps we could never be, but certainly in a way that is inspirational for us and a guideline for how we should try to act. Moses, who was usually pretty attuned to the Jews' needs, and as we know, he fought for them with God so that they wouldn't be destroyed. So Moses did care about the Jews, but even he was not thinking about the fact that had he said that all this silver was used for something on the outside, people's feelings might be hurt, people might feel like their offer was rejected or was lesser than. God is so attuned to it. We don't have the insight that God has to be that on top of people's feelings. But if even God, who was the creator of everything and in charge of everything, if even he can take the time out of his busy schedule making everything happen to care about individual people's feelings, then certainly we can do that, especially on a one-to-one basis if it's with our spouses or parents or friends or siblings or whomever we encounter, realizing how much in effect what we do, even things we don't intend to be mean, things that we can say when we mean to be nice, can really hurt people. We can always learn from God's example, even if we can't do it on quite the same scale. We can certainly learn how to be better people by following in his footsteps. Another interesting concept here is the fact that Moses gave an accounting of how everything was used because he didn't want people to think that he was embezzling, that he didn't want anyone to think that he was taking the money and enriching himself. Moses was the leader of the people. The people didn't just trust him. They loved him. He fought for them, and he still felt the need to make sure that people knew that he wasn't taking any of the money. What's the idea for us here? the idea for us is to act irreproachably which is probably impossible to do but to get as close to that as possible moshe was is considered the greatest of all prophets the greatest leader and even he felt the need to make it very clear to people and he wasn't taking any of the money for himself that everything that he gathered from the people went to the mishkan moses was on a pretty close relationship with god He knows that God knew that he didn't take any of it for himself, and even he felt the need to make it clear to the people his intentions, which should indicate to us that, yes, God does know everything that we do, and he knows our true intentions, but that's not enough. It's not enough to rely on the fact that we know God knows what we're doing, so we don't have to worry about what people think about us. This is another area of life where it's about balance. We talk about balance a lot because we want things to be black and white. It's so much easier when things are black and white, but things are very rarely black and white. And this is one of those scenarios because on the one hand, we shouldn't care what people think about us and we should do what's right. And we should know that God knows our true intentions. And ultimately that is the most important. We shouldn't care what people say about our clothes or our looks We shouldn't let that keep us down. Or if people don't understand certain choices we make in life, we don't have to listen to other people in that sense. We shouldn't care what other people think in that sense. But the truth is, people do have opinions on the things we do. People do form opinions of us based upon the things they see us do, whether we want them to or not. It's also unfortunately true that sometimes people can totally misinterpret something we do And even if we're acting as perfectly as possible, people could still misconstrue what we're doing. I had a really interesting encounter with someone recently. It's a friend's younger sibling who's now an adult, but I hadn't seen him since he was a kid in his adolescence. And we were talking the other day and he said, I remember that you were really mean. That stunned me because I've never really had anyone tell me that I'm mean. That this kid would tell me that I was mean was really shocking to me because I've always loved kids, first of all. So when I knew him, and there's a, there's an age gap. I think there's about a 10-year age gap between us. Even when he was in his adolescence, I was already an older teenager, and I'm, I just l- like working with kids. And also, I'm really not a mean person. So for him to say that he remembers me as mean really... Stunned me. Now we know each other as adults and he doesn't hold any grudges and he says he totally could be misremembering things because we misremember things from when we're young. But I might have been mean. Or he might have totally misinterpreted something I did. But if there was any room for misinterpretation, maybe that means I wasn't as nice or as kind or as open or friendly as I thought I was. This followed on a discussion that I've been having with my husband about who are the real bullies. We remember kids that teased us or bullied us when we were younger, but looking back, were we mean to them? And is that why they teased us? It's hard to remember and maybe impossible to know exactly. And But it is important to realize the impressions that we make on people and to be aware that the things we do don't just reflect on us. They also reflect on our parents, on our spouses, on our communities. It might not be fair that that happens. Maybe people shouldn't assume that because someone acts one way, their spouse is a similar way or that their parents raised them that way. But people do. That's how people think. It's not fair that people hear of a Jewish person committing a crime and assume that that has anything to do with all Jews. But unfortunately, that's what people do. And so when we are out in public, we have an obligation to act in a certain way, because it does reflect not just on us and, but on everyone. and ultimately, if we're a religious person, what we do also reflects on God, and we do definitely have an obligation to make sure that we're acting in a way that is as irreproachable as we can possibly be. Again, people will make will draw their own conclusions, and there's only so much we can do about that. as so much power as we have to act in a way that will reflect well upon us and upon our community and upon God. We have to do all we can. For instance, if someone is recognizably Jewish, let's say a man wearing a kippa, it's best for him not to walk into a McDonald's, let's say to use the bathroom, or even to get a soda, which could be kosher, because then someone else sees a Jewish man going into a McDonald's and either thinks that McDonald's must be kosher because here's a man who clearly keeps kosher, or thinks that all Jews are hypocrites because here's a man who clearly calls himself religious who's wearing a kippa, but he's going into a McDonald's. Better if that man has an opportunity to walk into a gas station and use their bathroom. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes you're on a long road trip. The only place you can go into is a McDonald's. But then you could throw on a baseball cap over your kippa and make it less recognizable that you're Jewish. And this is true for people of any recognizable faith or community group because people make assumptions about whole groups based upon the actions of one person, which is totally unfair. There are a lot of unfair things that people do, unfair acts that humans engage in. We judge whole groups based upon the action of one. We shouldn't, it's wrong, but that's how our minds work. We look for patterns, we make connections, and sometimes they're not correct, but that is how our minds work. And so we have to do everything in our power to not care what other people think, but be mindful that people are watching us and mindful that they're going to make assumptions. And what assumptions do we want people to make? And we don't just have to care from the standpoint of not making the rest of the community look bad. Also for our own sake. I assume most of us want to come off pleasantly to others. We want to come off as friendly and good and trustworthy. And we can help by going above and beyond to act in ways that give the best impression of us. One final thought on the Parsha. These are the final two Parshiot in the book of Exodus. Next week, we're moving into Leviticus. We talked at the beginning of the episode about how we go through the entire Torah once a year. And that's a big celebration on Simcha Torah. But there are also words that we say when we complete one of the books of Torah before we begin the next one. We say, Chazak, Chazak, V'nish which means, be strong, be strong, and we will be strengthened. We are strengthened by the words of the Torah, and we will continue to be strengthened by the words of the Torah when we continue with the next book the following week. So Vayakal and Bakude are the last two Parshiot of Exodus. Again, not the most exciting, because they talk about the building of the Mishkan, which in and of itself is not the most exciting, but also we've already had other Parshiot talking about the building of the Mishkan, so it's really not so exciting, but we read it every year. We don't skip. We don't say that since we read it two years ago and it's kind of boring and there aren't really a lot of lessons to learn, we're not building a Mishkan right now, we'll just come back to it in a few years. We read it every year. We read all 54 Parshiot every year. One of the interpretations of the idea that the Mishkan's building is talked about so much is to indicate to us that it's important, and that it's really precious to God. The building of the Mishkan and all of the different vessels is something that he really cares about. He really cares about the people's involvement in it. If it weren't, well, if it weren't important at all, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have made the cut. But the fact that it's repeated is an indication that it really means something to God. The same thing is the fact that we repeat the Torah every year. There's no break. On Simcha Torah, we finish with the final chapter, and then we start right again with Bereshit. It's not even the following week. We go right into it. There's no break. Because when you repeat something, when you spend a lot of time on something, that's an indication that it means something to you and that it's important. The Mishkan comes up a lot in the Torah because... It's really dear and precious and important to God and he wants us to know that and he wants the world to know that and it's repeated. We repeat the Torah every year because it's important to us and it's dear to us and it keeps us going. Chazak, chazak, chazek. Be strong, be strong, and we will be strengthened. The Torah is what keeps us strong. The Torah is what gives us our history, our purpose, our values, our meaning, and we don't want to forget that. And if you don't want to forget something, if something matters to you, you keep on repeating it. You don't just assume that learning it once is enough or that people will remember from year to year, but you repeat it because it's important and it matters. And the only way for something to continue mattering and to continue being in someone's consciousness and in a group consciousness is to repeat it over and over to indicate that it's important and it matters and it should be precious. Just like I repeat every week what really matters to me, which is Be a little kinder than necessary. Thank you so much for listening. Shabbat Shalom. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to E Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day!